Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenoyo. I want to welcome you back to our series, the Bible series in the book of Genesis. We've been on this journey. We are looking at the story of the whole Bible and we stopped because we were led to have this 14 part series on New Testament given. I hope you've been part of that series. If you've not, please, I want to ask you to go and listen to it. If you don't have time to listen to the whole 14, listen to the last one first. I believe they will bless you. It's been a blessing to me. But we are back. We are back to resume back our Bible series in Genesis. And I just felt that to put us back into the spirit of the Bible series, we should just do a quick review of how we get to where we are. You think we should do that? Yes, let's do that. Come on with me. Let's do some review. This is the story of the fall. This is a catastrophic event. It's a colossal tragedy, one that profoundly affected creation forever. So what we are dealing with here is not a footnote. You can call it the rebellion. You can call it the defection. You can call it the transgression. Up till now, there was a trajectory that this story was going, but this changed everything. This changed the trajectory of this whole story. And the question is, what happened next? Eve saw the fruit that it was good for food. It doesn't matter whether it's the daughter of somebody else or the son of somebody else or the business of somebody else. It's good for food. It satisfies my appetite. I'm going to eat it. It doesn't matter whether you are breaking the rule to do that. It doesn't matter whether you are stepping on the life of somebody else and destroying their life to do that. It is good for food. It satisfies my appetite. It is all about me. I am God. I make the rule. It doesn't matter that God told her not to eat it. That is the desire of the flesh. For Adam and Eve, they didn't need a cloth. Their bodies were the clothing of their internal glory. And their internal glory was the clothing of their nakedness. In other words, they had a glory of God upon them. Unfortunately, all that changed when Adam and Eve rebelled. Now they were ashamed. Something fundamental has changed inside Adam and Eve. This glory of God, the presence of God, this goodness of God that was covering them, they lost it all. And now they were ashamed. God said, on the day you eat, you will certainly die. The question is, what was God saying when God said that they will die on that day in what way did they die when they ate the fruit okay the dead that is spoken there is the loss of the spiritual life of their soul in its union with god as opposed to physical death which is the loss of natural life of the body in its union with the soul dying is still existence but existence in a wrong location God was saying that something will happen immediately you disobey, immediately you rebel. What God was talking about in Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 was not the second death, was not the loss of natural life. He was talking about the first death, which is the loss of spiritual life. Without having first died spiritually, Adam and Eve would not have been able to die physically. But once they die spiritually, then death set in and eventually their body was taught how to die. Today we want to look at the subject of shame, fear. Shame is feeling guilty, the feeling of embarrassment, the feeling of disgrace that make us to want to hide away. Sin results in shame and guilt. And unresolved shame in front of the righteous judge bring fear. Oftentimes what we call the fear of the unknown, the fear of death is really the fact that we are now facing the reality of the fact that the God we have ignored for so long 
we are going to be facing him. The fact that we blame other people doesn't mean that God is going to give us a pass just because I found somebody I can blame. Number one, God knows the truth. God knows our heart. He knows our desire. He knows our ambition. God knows the truth. At every point that we try to excuse ourselves, our very excuse point accusing finger back at us because you and I, we are creation of free will. People say, but I didn't have a choice. No, we always have a choice. Now, it may be a tough choice, but you and I, we always have a choice. Genesis chapter 3 verse 9, And the Lord God called Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? That's the first question recorded for us in the Bible. In what place and in what condition are you? Where art thou? God knew what they've done. God knew where they were hiding. God is pursuing them for their recovery. God is still asking today, Where art thou? And God is doing that because God wants to save because God wants to redeem. Once they disobeyed God, they were already cursed because they are now standing on the wrong side of God. During the interrogation, the first person that God spoke to was Adam. And then God spoke to Eve. And God did not speak to the serpent. But when God was passing judgment, God reversed the order. First, God passed judgment on the serpent and then on Eve and finally on Adam. The order of interrogation was in the order of authority. The order of judgment is the order of their rebellion. In the sentence against the serpent is contained a sentence against Satan. Both of them were punished together. This is the circumstances of the devil forever. I know he's trying to present himself as the big shot. No, he's falling. He's finished. Essentially, what he has going for him is to blind people's eyes to the truth about himself. The serpent and Satan have been talking themselves up. But in the presence of God, they were reduced to silence. Satan keeps falling. Satan is a loser. He was a loser from the beginning. No doubt he's dangerous. He can and he does cause a lot of pain. He can cause a lot of chaos. He can cause a lot of confusion. Nevertheless, he was a loser from the beginning. He is a loser now and he will be a loser in eternity to come. See, God judged him cast him down in heaven, in the garden, the same thing. God judged him in the serpent upon your belly, a cast down. Thus shall you eat and humiliation, a defeat as it were. The lake of fire was prepared for Satan and his fallen angel. Depart from me, you cause into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angel. The lake of fire was not primarily prepared for humans. However, humans who join force with the evil one to rebel against God, like the serpent, they will also experience God's final judgment that he passed upon the devil. And God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. If Satan somehow before now entertained the hope of escaping God's final judgment, that is going to create an eternal parallel kingdom to that of kingdom of God. All that was shattered in this one single verse. From that point onward, it was a countdown. The clock started ticking. It's not a question of if he's going to face his final judgment. It's a question of when. Who exactly is the woman's seed? The word seed is a collective singular. That word can be used as a singular or it can be used as a plural with no change in grammar. The seed of the woman is speaking about one individual, but a simplify and stand as a representative of a group. And that individual we said will be the Messiah. 
and we know that Jesus is the Messiah. His victory will be accountable to the group that he represents or that he exemplified. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, in the seed of the woman, God will step into the arena and he will partake of flesh and blood. He will partake of our human nature. And this is what we call incarnation when God became a man. And this Messiah will crush the head of the serpent. This son of God will destroy all the works of the devil. There's something that the devil knows for sure that his total payback day, his total wipeout day is coming. <laughs> it will surely come. The scripture connected the seed of the woman to God, to Abraham, and to David. The Bible also connected the seed of the woman to a peculiar group of people. So the seed of the woman is connected to this group of people in the scripture. And all these men and women that the seed of the woman exemplified, that the seed of woman represents, they in turn tell us something about that seed in their individual little way. So Satan tried to corrupt Job. But why did God allow him to do it? Because Job was a shadow of the Messiah. There's only one Job. Now we can learn principle from the life of Job. This was a part Job needed to play among this group in pointing forward towards the Messiah. Just the same way that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. Isaac, in a peculiar way, was a picture also of the Messiah. So God is not going to ask anybody else to do the same thing. When we break God's law, when we sin, there are consequences. And the consequences is what the Bible is calling the curses. When we obey God's law, there are benefits. And this is what the Bible calls blessings. God himself is the law. So when we obey the law of God, we are obeying him. When we disobey the law of God, we are disobeying him. And as the judge, God has to impose the penalty that sin requires. If sentencing is found in Genesis chapter 3, a sentencing fell on her as a mother and as a wife. Why is that? Because these are the two exclusive area of womankind. God created Eve as a homemaker, as a mother. No, not, that's not her only role, but this was her primary role. And God equipped her spirit, soul, and body to fulfill those roles. And therefore, in her offense, God's judgment and sentencing fell very hard on those two areas of her life. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. So as lilies live in this world among thorns, so you and I must grow up in a sinful world. Satan contaminated life at its very source, the womb of the woman. God did not decommission the womb of the woman from the very spot where Satan contaminated life. From that same spot, God will bring salvation. It was failure to follow the protocol and the framework that God has put in place for marriage relationship that actually led to the fall. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were partners. Their relationship was that of willing submission of the wife and loving headship of the husband. There's nothing weak about submission. In fact, if anything, it's a strength because they were equal. It's a strength for the woman to be willingly submissive to the man. And any sensible man will understand that and we recognize that and we celebrate that. This is the true secret behind every godly and successful home. The man and the woman, who knows that they are equal and they are partner, but in that equality, in that partnership, the wife willingly submitting to the husband, 
the husband lovingly being the head and the leader in the home, and both of them submitting to each other in love. And that ultimately is the true secret behind every godly and every successful home. When Adam and Eve rebelled, the result is where there was unity, there is now contention and exploitation on both sides. This beautiful pattern that God has set in place has become twisted. Where there was total peace and harmony, we find ideological conflict between male tyranny and militant feminism. Some of this has been entrenched in some culture, in some religion, in various ideology. Human history is littered with such examples of battles of the sexes. Sin is a spoiler of life. Sin reduces life. Sin is a destroyer of destiny. It's nothing to play with. The problem of sin, the problem that Adam created, the real horror of sin, the second death, that is resolved through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not from the first death. Everybody will die. Salvation saves us from the second death. The Lord Jesus Christ coming to die for us was not a cosmic abuse because Jesus is God himself. When we understand the price that it takes for us to be redeemed, for this mess to be paid for, it makes us to understand the depth, the significance, the horror, the evil, the wickedness of human's death. That is what human has unleashed upon creation. Unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins. The word that is used for coats is a kind of shirt without sleeve that reaches down to the knees. This is a gown, a garment. It's something that can cover them. Some translations actually use the word garments. It's a garment that flow all the way to their knees. What about the word skins? That word there is leather. It came from the Hebrew root word that actually means naked. We have to come into God's presence without nakedness. We have to be covered with the garment. It cannot be human act of righteousness. Like Adam and Eve sewing leaves together to cover themselves will not do it. The garment that must cover our nakedness must be a holy garment, must be acceptable garment. But where is human going to get such garment? No, human cannot get such garment. So that garment will have to be provided by God himself. At the immediate proximate level, Adam and Eve need suitable and durable covering. Cover their nakedness, protect them against variation in climate. But they were also naked morally. They were also naked spiritually. So the garment of skin with which God clothed Adam and Eve, they were guarantee of the robes of righteousness which God will hereafter provide for us, for those people that are penitent, for those people that are repentant. We talk about righteousness, now we are talking about covenant as it relates to the fall. At the heart of this rebellion is a broken covenant. Therefore, at the heart of redemption must be a restored covenant. That's the atonement. Adam and Eve are already suffering the punishment for breaking the covenant, but they cannot suffer enough to pay the cost for breaking the covenant. The necessary cost has to be paid for this broken covenant to be salvaged through the seed of the woman. It is not in man's interest for him to live forever in the state of sinfulness and being under the wrath of God. So God driving the man and the woman out of the garden of Eden and blocking the way back to the tree of life was actually an act of mercy. 
If it was possible for Adam and Eve to eat of that tree in their fallen state, they would be trapped in an unending life that is hopeless, pitiful. That obviously is unthinkable. That obviously is undesirable. That tree of life represents the unbroken, ceaseless communication of life given to human by God. It represents fellowship, communion with God, and it is from that fellowship and communion that our inexhaustible life come from. You know, it's just like the umbilical cord of a baby in the womb. That child has life, but that life in the womb is sustained and maintained through that connection with the mother. Adam and Eve's lives came from their constant fellowship and communion with God, which is represented by their eating of the fruit of the tree of life. So the tree of life represents God himself. The tree of life represents Christ, who is the source of our human life. To partake of that life, humans must eat and continue to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. And this is a picture for us, isn't it? This is what the appearance of this tree of life in the in-between story, this is what the appearance represents, that God gave us a little bit of an open door for men and women, even after the fall, to be able to have some fellowship and communion with him and enjoy a measure of Edenic experience while they await the appearance of the Messiah. The tree is all about God's presence. So that is why the cherubims were stationed there, because they are also symbols of divine presence. Here they guard the tree of life, which is another emblem of God's presence. Lest man should try to force an entrance back into God's presence. And if they do that, they will die. This flaming sword is a flame of the justice of God, which required to be satisfied. I want you to know that God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you have bought into the lie of the devil that says that if God is good, if God is powerful, if God is love, he won't send you to hell. There is hell. But because God is good, because God is love, he has made a way for you not to go there. And that way is the way of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you come to him for help, he will help you. Then you won't go to hell. All you have to do is to admit that you're a sinner. You cannot save yourself. And that God has provided a way. Accept Jesus as that savior. Ask him to come into your life. He will come in. He will be your Lord. He will be your God. He will change you from inside out. Then you will follow him. And when you die, you'll be with him. You'll be a son. You'll be a daughter. But it's not only about escaping hell. It's also about living a life that is fulfilled here that glorify him and that is the way to live it so do it today because tomorrow may be too late we sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on youtube maranatha teaching channel they will bless you thank you